I'm Alicia. And I'm Ashley. And we are Murd Nerds. Hello, fellow Murd Nerds. We hope that you all have been doing well. If you aren't familiar with Murd Nerds, we are a true crime podcast focusing on the missing, unsolved, and weird true crime within our home state of Indiana. As we have stated before, we usually record a couple episodes at a time, so this is our first time back in the studio all together since the beginning of May. And we have had a busy, busy month, and now we are back to the podcast grind. So before we jump into today's case, Ashley, how you been? I want to know what podcast grind is. <laughs> you did not think I was going to ignore that. <laughs> uh, my mouth just doesn't want to move sometimes. <laughs> um, I've been great. I've been not like busy, but busy, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like nothing on paper, but I've been pretty active. I've like camped out with my nieces and nephew, yeah, my nice. niece and nephews, and um, just been hanging out. Fun. Yeah, Jeremy, how you been? What's going on in your world? I've been good, but I have I have a, I have a contemplation. Okay. Why does sleep go by so fast? That's what I want to know. It's like a time machine to the next day, and I don't like it. That's brilliant. <laughs> time machine to the next day. That's what my. That's what, we have a Google Home, and it goes. Time to go to sleep. Sleep is a time machine to tomorrow. Oh my god! <laughs> what the fuck is that? Uh, I've don't been good. worry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Don't worry. What I was gonna do a bit. It's fine. You oh. go ahead. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been good. I've been really busy. Yeah. We. You know. You've been with me for part of it. Yeah. For real. Yeah. It's been nuts. So we, we talked about the wedding. Yes. Immensely. Congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Golden. That's not Jeremy and Bobby. That's not. Or it's not, <laughs> or it's not Gunner and Sarah, Sarah either. And Sarah. <laughs> yeah, I went to a wedding yesterday. There was a shit ton of Goldens there. Let me tell you. Gosh. <laughs> Hilarious, but I did have the really cool uh, um, thing where with Tom Bernard's podcast, where mm-hmm. I actually got some music actually on Tom Bernard's podcast. Oh out my of gosh, yes, I heard about so that. Cool. That's fucking awesome. And I'm just gonna, you know, talk about it in every podcast from here on out. You yes. deserve to. Yes, do it. <laughs> Pretty exciting. I, yeah, I got a job, like a real job, not mm-hmm. just a podcast, not just two two time podcaster, <laughs> like Gutter always says. Two-time podcast host. Uh, I work at the library. I'm a librarian, even though I'm not supposed to say that, Amanda. Why? Because you have to have a master's degree in uh, oh, library science, oh. and I don't have that. But you know what? My coworkers said it's fine. None of them have master's degrees in library science. Go. So nobody there has one. But I have Um there. Nina's girlfriend, Brittany, has an interview at the Mishawaka Library. Oh, does she actually. really? Or No, no, no. South Bend. The one. The, the big one? Yeah. A really nice one. Nice. That's awesome. It's so much fun. I have a blast. Best job ever. Speaking of jobs, let's jump into this one. <laughs> oh, oh this speaking job. of so. botch jobs. <laughs> oh boy, guys. Okay. So okay, wait. So let's explain what happened first. Yes. Okay. So I am really bad about our credentials and our like reading off our Facebook and 
MySpace and all the stuff. <laughs> MySpace. MySpace. <laughs> You've been listening to Golden Image Radio Vintage, I see. Um. Anyway, so I went on to our shared Google Docs, which is our Merd Nerds Google Docs. Alicia works – you work exclusively under our Merd Nerds yes, name. Yeah. Yes. So and I, I use my separate. personal one. So um, – I went under to steal all of her footnotes about, you know, what our socials are and all that fun stuff. And I noticed something. But you noticed, Ashley. I Mm. noticed that Alicia and I had chosen the same case for this and next week. So we came together and we talked about it and we decided we're going to co-op it, kind of wing it. It might be a little messy. That's okay. But, yeah, we're going to go ahead and make it... Are we announcing it's a two-parter? Right it's a two-parter, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So this that's what you're going to get an earful of just this one case for two weeks straight because <laughs> we were on the same wavelength, even though we spoke a total of like six words to each other all month because yeah. you were so busy. Yeah. I mean, so f- for some reason, Hilarious. we just, yeah. Well, and I know why. I know why we picked the same case. Okay. It's because Netflix just released the documentary <laughs> and we both watched it and uh, yeah, I've... <laughs> I, like I told you on the phone when you called me and you were like, oh, no, the day of recording and we both did the same case. Because we always surprise each other with the cases. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was I was telling you that I've been literally counting down the days until this documentary was released <laughs> so that I could use it for a case. And uh, I bet everybody knows what case it is now. Since Oh, probably. Probably. So, Most of the murder nerds out there will probably know. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So this week we decided to not just do a case of the missing and murdered, but it's a true crime adjacent? It's still true crime, but yeah, not... But there's no crime technically that's been committed. Yeah, which that's we'll definitely get thing. into yes. that. And like I said, this case may be familiar to you because Netflix just released their new documentary called Our Father. And if you haven't watched the special... You're in for a ride, which Jeremy has no idea what this case it's is. It's a freaking mess. It's unbelievable. I'm just literally now finding out exactly what you what the case is. Yeah, yeah, we've been kind of skirting around yeah. it. <laughs> they won't tell me. And the crazy thing about it too is, if there was no evidence, everybody would think that all these people involved are fucking nuts. Yeah, they're all nuts. So, so um, I do want to drop in a content warning about this story because it does mention medical malpractice, assault, battery, and in my opinion, rape. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like Frank talk about reproductive organs, just grow up and maybe you'll learn something today. <laughs> oh, my God. Can I make a personal announcement? Yes. I have been on the depot shop for the upwards of eight years. Yeah, for a while. <clears throat> I got my last depot shot on Thanksgiving Day, mm-hmm. and I officially have a period again. Oh, my God. That's awesome. I know. It feels so good. Well, I mean, it hurts. It sucks. But it feels so good. I'm like, I'm a real woman again. Yeah, because <laughs> it just... Takes away. Like, yeah, like wh- how what is going on in there that it doesn't need to do that? That's very yeah. concerning. Yeah, poor so, Jeremy. He learns so much about us on the does. daily. So yeah, that's really exciting. <laughs> I was pretty excited about it. So I'm like, Jeremy, <laughs> my body's clean. You want to call that the Geppetto shot? Shot? You know, the you become a real girl again. <laughs> What's well, the opposite? Because it makes you not a real girl. <laughs> the Geppetto shot. Okay, so. uh do you want to go in to what you wanted to discuss before we? Yeah. Got into so the basically, case? Um, now that we've announced it, and our listeners probably know exactly what we're talking about, we're gonna hit Jeremy with a question here, and I'm gonna ask Alicia too because we did not discuss this prior. Um, if you guys know anybody 
um, that have used like fertility assistance to get pregnant. Okay. Do you? Mm, um, boy, I had to. I actually have to pause and think about that for a minute because. So probably you probably I do. probably do. My mom. Yeah, I was gonna say. I know she does. Yeah, she she had to be on medication, okay. fertility medication. Yeah, any kind of yeah. Not like artificial insemination or IVF or anything, but she had to be on fertility medication. Oh, and one of my close friends, I don't want to like disclose it on air, but she was on medication too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, fertility issues, like this is big money in the medical community, especially in in the past, what, like 50 years, 40 years? Yeah. So um, it's a huge sector. They have specialized doctors, services. And as of 2018, 33% of people were either using or knew someone who was using fertility treatments. So since the first, quote, test tube baby, um, which I didn't write down what year that was. I probably should have. Um, but since that, one million babies have been born as a direct result of assisted reproductive technologies. Crazy. Yes. Crazy when you think about how many people accidentally get pregnant, like myself. <laughs> three, three out of four of my kids were, were unplanned. So it's like it's crazy to think. People sometimes just can't have babies when there's people like dummy me who actively prevents pregnancies and still. Yeah. I mean, you weren't necessarily being dumb. <laughs> you, you had some like one in 1000 chance. Yeah. Pregnancies. It's actually quite hard to get pregnant for some people. Like, yeah. they'll, you know, even if they don't have fertility problems, mm-hmm. it's kind of just a roll of the dice. Wild. I only had one. Only one of mine were unplanned. Skylar. No, that would have been Montana. <laughs> that would have been oh, my Montana. guess, too. <laughs> I didn't plan Skyler, but I'm pretty sure that... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Bobby. Just her out right, now. <laughs> the, right under the bus. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so, before I jump into the case itself, I just want to get a, a bit of a history lesson on fertility treatments because, you know, Ashley gave you the statistics and... I always seem to want to do the history behind things just to get a basis. But before doctors and scientists started looking into infertility as a medical condition, people thought that sterility, which is what infertility was once called, was just an act of God. Some people even thought it was the divine's punishment or people thought it was just some fault of their own. And that was like long, long ago. Uh, More recently than you would want to believe. It wasn't until the turning of the 19th century that doctors and scientists started seeing this as something that they could mend with medical intervention. But the issue with this was they didn't really understand how conception worked, which is kind of the the basis of how you would move forward. It wasn't until 1827 that the female ova, the eggs, were discovered. And then in 1843, it was discovered that conception occurs when the sperm enters the ovum. Shockingly enough, sperm, even though it's much smaller than the female eggs, was discovered in 1677. Make it make sense. Because it's men. (laughs) Yeah. So they they discovered sperm back then, but it took them till, what did you say, 19-something? It was 18... 1827. To figure out that women... They're like, oh, it's this? I'm going to put this under a microscope and <laughs> right? just see what's in there. And I think that's what it is. Is mm-hmm. It comes out. Yeah. And it's there and it's in front Female of Female eggs are an internal thing. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So that even... Yeah. And it's back when they were like, oh, your fingernail hurts. Let's cut off your arm. Right. <laughs> Let's do that. That's going to work. That's going to work. Let's leech this out. 
for real. Even today, the universal understanding of the female reproductive system is droves behind the understanding of male reproductive system and the male reproductive health issues. Honestly, really think about it. Do you know all the body parts of a female? Yes, I do. Do Are you sure? Do you know the names? Do you know what each part does or how it all works together? I'm willing to bet that a lot of vulva owners, not vulvo owners, not like the car, not vulvo, vulva, don't know what's going on with their own body. I'm willing to bet that. I would bet that too. Mm-hmm. I'm willing I, to examine. I, oh my God. <laughs> Always keeping it classy over here, Jeremy. Um, I knew way back in the day when I was in college because I took anatomy yeah. and physiology classes. Best classes ever. People should audit those classes. They're fucking awesome. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, I knew all the bones in the body, not all the muscles because there's over 600. But but yeah, it's it's interesting. But I don't fucking know now. Well, and it's I a think- long time ago even women they go oh my vagina when they don't realize that it's the vulva your vagina is the hole you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm going to shave my vagina you, you don't want to do that <laughs> stuff oh, like that oh stop why you got to that's like that's like when you talk about getting kicked in the nuts to a guy saying shit like that with the same yeah, feeling here <laughs> by the 1850s artificial insemination was being attempted by dr j martin sims he tried the procedure on six different women 55 times. The issues with this were that he didn't take into consideration that women ovulate at different times, but also that they put the brunt of why pregnancy wasn't happening on the woman herself. (laughs) They didn't even consider at this point that a man may have issues with infertility. And in 1884, Dr. William Pancost was artificially inseminating the wife of a very wealthy man within his community after several attempts of it not working with her partner's sperm, he decided to take it upon himself, without the knowledge of the woman or her husband, to use his semen hmm. provided by or to use the semen provided by one of the medical students. He picked the quote unquote most handsome medical student that he had, knocked the <laughs> wife out with chloroform, and wouldn't you know, nine months later she gave birth to a healthy baby. This is the first documented case of artificial insemination using a donor sperm. It wasn't even discussed that this was what had happened until 25 years later. There was a medical paper that was released regarding the situation, and when it was released, people highly scrutinized Dr. Pancost for his actions. But this opened up the door for the idea of using donor sperm in cases of infertility and pregnancy struggles. After nearly 100 years, hundreds of doctors across the United States were performing artificial insemination. The 1970s were truly a boom within the fertility treatments. Most of these doctors told the parents not to tell the children that they were conceived by using donor sperm. I wonder if the reason why it boomed is because, like, Wall Street, there was so much money in the in that time. Oh, that was more in the 80s, wasn't it? I think that was during the 80s. Because, like, people just had money to try, it, to try things. things. Yeah. yeah. Um, some doctors even told the women not to tell their partners that the child wasn't biologically there. It was stated that this could cause a lot of psychological harm to not only the child, but the, the, their partner. And they felt that the children may not feel like they were part of the family or that they just didn't fit in. They also felt that the men would feel incompetent or humiliated because they couldn't produce children. You can't do that to a man. Or they would make the women that were being inseminated look uh, like an adulteress or a whore. The veil of secrecy was so thick that most clinics didn't even keep records, or if they did, they were soon destroyed. 
At this point, there were no laws or regulations surrounding artificial insemination and donor sperm. Okay, you're talking about the 1970s right now? Mm-hmm. Okay, if all that earlier stuff happened that I didn't know about because I didn't do any fucking real research, <laughs> how did they not already think about this issue that we're about to speak about? And how was there not already a law in place? I don't know. Holy Probably because they thought shit. people wouldn't do this. I'm really glad we're co-oping this because my end wouldn't have made a lot of sense. <laughs> it would not have. So the first one, when the first one that you were talking about, the doctor that uh, used the used the medical student, mm-hmm. 25 years, nobody realized in that 25 years that he was different than the dad? Just I, I want to just say, he, you know, well, dad's a dark-haired... Genes are weird, though. It could be two yeah. recessive genes together from three generations back and... Look at Val. Does Val look like she's Roy's daughter? Right? Perfect example. That's pretty and Cora good. doesn't look like she's mine. So it's and they're definitely like mine and Roy's children, and they're full siblings, and they don't look the the same at all. So what she's saying is she's not disclosing anything. She is definitely <laughs> her doctor <saying> that... told. <laughs> they're definitely Roy's. Oh my gosh! Sorry. No, you're it's fine. Madness. In 1979, during the renaissance of the fertility research, Dr. Donald Klein opened up his own office in Indianapolis on West 86th Street called Indianapolis Infertility. Donald Klein had gotten his undergrad from Indiana University and then went on to receive his MD from the Indiana University School of Medicine. He interned at Methodist Hospital in Indianapolis, and from what I watched within the documentary Our Father, Klein was a skilled surgeon, until he started having issues with his hands, hurting and shaking. He eventually found out that he had rheumatoid arthritis, which is a pretty serious autoimmune disorder. After his internship, he decided to go into the United States Air Force. After two years of active duty, he was in the Air Force Reserves for 12 years until he was honorably discharged. After his discharge is when he opened up his clinic. Nearly immediately, his clinic was popular. Specializing in fertility was such a new concept that Donald Klein had a stark advantage with opening this office. He quickly became one of the most sought-after fertility specialists around. By 1987, he was able to hire another doctor, Dr. Robert Culver, who worked with him until 1991. He was, was like, squirrely. He was fun to watch on the documentary. He was so (laughs) squirrely. Together, they treated thousands and thousands of couples. A lot of his clients came from word of mouth because more times than not, he successfully helped women give birth to healthy babies. Not only was Klein successful with his clinic, but he was seen as a highly respected part of his community. People who knew Klein, even patients, described him as empathetic and full of compassion. And I'm putting quotes around those. Klein? Yeah. Hmm. Yep. That's why when the events that unfolded decades later came out, the entire community was in utter shock. In 1979, Debbie Pierce was around 20 or 21 years old. She was married and she really wanted to have a child. Sadly, her husband wasn't able to have children. They knew how exciting and revolutionary fertility treatments were. So their next step was to seek out a specialist. Debbie went to the Indianapolis Infertility Clinic ran by Don Klein, and I'm sure it wasn't hard to pick this office considering the commercials they had blasted all over the television. Did you, do you remember watching it in the documentary? Yeah, yeah. They're cheesy. Seeing my friend 
talk about their baby made me feel alone and isolated. Yeah. <laughs> She's like by a pool. Yeah. I think it's a lake. She's sitting oh, on a pier. Yeah. Um, the actress used a lot of emotional driven verbiage, um, talked about the struggles of being infertile and made it relatable as much as possible, considering one in five adults struggle with infertility. The commercial also stated that Donald Klein was the best specialist in the area. He not only provided artificial inseminations, but he also created the first office to be able to provide a laser operation to reconnect fallopian tubes. So knowing how ground- groundbreaking and how great he was portrayed, Jebby, De- Jebby. <laughs> Debbie chose him to be her doctor. When her only option was to use donor sperm, Klein stated that he would be able to match her with a donor that looked just like her husband. And they did this by using a notebook. Uh, and this notebook was filled with criteria and specifications of all the donors that they had. And the donors that they had on hand were medical students that were right across the street in the hospital. So they would go through and, like, if your husband had dark hair, they would pick a med student that had dark hair. If, you know, he had blue eyes, whatever, how tall he was, they would try to match it as best as they could to what your partner looked like. And you picked, like, you you approved that. Yes. At the time. Yes. And at this time in fertility tra- treatments, um, you could only use fresh sperm that for donor sperm because it wasn't until 1987 that they had figured out how to freeze samples to create longevity. When the patient would pick their donor, the nurse would call over to the hospital, tell the med student that they needed to provide a sample, and when he was finished, the nurse would walk over the street to the hospital, pick up the tube the sample was in, place it in her bra to keep it warm to help it last longer than the hour that they had, because they had an hour to inseminate the sanitary the, the sample, <laughs> and then she would hand it off to Dr. Klein, who would do the procedure. For Debbie, the first procedure worked. She got immediately pregnant with her daughter, and her name is Jacoba. Growing up. Growing up. Growing up. Now, I want to ask a question, because I don't remember this being touched on. Was Jacoba... I'll ask it later. Okay. I don't want to ruin anything. Growing up, Jacoba Ballard always felt something was not quite what she believed it was. She felt different. She had blonde hair, blue eyes, she was fair-skinned, but the rest of her family all had dark hair, dark eyes, and olive skin. She would continually ask her mom, am I adopted? At age 10, Jacoba found out that she had in fact been conceived with donor sperm. Jacoba was an only child, but always longed for a sibling. She thought that maybe, just maybe, she could have some half-siblings out there in the world. If she was created by donor sperm, maybe there were others out there too. And when Jacoba was 18 or 19, she decided to call Indianapolis Infertility to speak to Dr. Klein about the possibility of there being more than just her out there. Klein told her that he only used one donor, no more than three times, for ethical reasoning. And that within his own office, and and that was within his own office, (coughs) if you have too many brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles, etc. in the same geographical area who are unknowingly siblings... Then they start reproducing. This becomes a pretty big problem quickly when it comes to inbreeding. Plus, it's just icky. <laughs> yeah, but it just makes sense. In my opinion, it's pretty wacky to think that even with someone donating just three times, the likelihood of someone getting jiggy with their sibling without knowing it is still there. Well, I think he means like three. Uh, well, yeah, you're right. Like if all three of those 
they donate three times. The, the but it's and they're all really successful. Low. It's much lower, yeah. yes, than just not keeping track. Yeah. And there's no regulations on how many times someone can donate across the United States. There's not like a federal law Wasn't for this. There, I read an article about this young guy who donates all the time, has a lot of like not to say to illegitimate kids, but yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he was like complaining like girls don't want to date him just because like they know that he has a bunch of kids out there. Because it's kind of weird and seems like he has a fetish. I'm just going to say it. Yeah, it does seem a little sexual in some cases. Yes. But Klein stated, unfortunately, that he could not provide Jacobo with this information. All medical records he had at that time were destroyed. So Jacoba did the only thing that she knew to do. She went on with her life. She got married. She had kids and just accepted that she probably will never know if she has someone out there that's a part of her. But a part of her was still a little hopeful that she could find a sibling or two one day. Side note, there are no federal regulations on how many times donor sperm can be used. So a donor can easily produce dozens and dozens of children. Sperm banks are self-regulating and usually you can only donate so many times, but federally there is no limit. So a guy can just go drop his load off at every sperm bank in the country if he wants to. I'm being pretty frank this episode. Oh my goodness. In 2014, Jacoba was 35 years old. She kept seeing all these ads for these at-home DNA kits called 23andMe. That longing of finding a sibling bubbled right back up after years and years of it being pushed down with no hopes. But maybe this DNA test could give her some answers. Her can, goal? Yeah, go ahead. Can I do a side note? Yeah, jump right okay. in. Okay, so... <clears throat> Before we get into, because this is where we really dive in, mm-hmm. um, my family actually did 23andMe a few years back. What do you say? Like five I years gonna ago. I was going to ask you, yeah. Yeah. So um, we actually found out that my grandpa was a sperm donor in the 70s. And we, I had an aunt that we none of us knew about, not even my grandpa. Really? But we found her on 23andMe, yeah. So he he has five kids, not just four, which... It was it's like so weird, well, crazy, weird. yeah. So shout out to a Michelle. And yeah, that's that's, and she looked just like them. She looks exactly like my mom. It was creepy. Yeah, it's super just weird. like my mom. She totally fit in. She was cool. Yeah, she she went on vacation with us once mm-hmm. and hung out a few times. Nice. Yeah. Um. So maybe this DNA test could give her some answers. Her goal was to find a brother or sister, but if she found out who her biological father was, that would just be a plus. So have you ever done an at-home DNA test before, ever? I did, but I didn't do 23andMe, which was a dumb mistake. I did this, like, CRI or CRG or something, Mm -hmm. and it it just didn't have that web – it didn't web you out oh, the way really? I wanted it to. Yeah. So it was kind of a bummer. I should have just done 23andMe, but my whole family did it. So I knew all of my history except through on. my mom and my grandpa. Yeah, and, you yeah. just need your, the other side. Have yeah. you done one before, Jimmy? No, I've never done one. So yeah, it didn't link me to any of my dad's side or anything like that. Yeah. So I don't know. I've done one, and it just told me everything I already knew. Yeah, much. exactly. You might have freckles. You might have a receding hairline. Your <laughs> eyes have a 50% chance of being blue. Right. It was so weird to read through Well, and like, I mean, I'm I'm fair-skinned, have naturally blonde hair, blue eyes, and it's like, you're a 38% Scandinavian, and you're like 33% Scottish and 33% German. I'm like, no way. <laughs> Mine was surprising. There was not, I'll have to, I'll have to bring it in, and y'all have to look at it. Yeah, do that. 
It's in my email. What were you going to say? I'll have to bring it in. My mom was a genealogy buff. So oh, cool beans. We have, yeah, she's, I remember when as a kid, we spent many, many hours in the library and yeah. digging through books and old uh, microfilm. and Becky's so cool. Way. Yeah, so we, we have a pretty strong idea. I think that her and her brother actually did one of them. I don't know which one they did. They were like, you should There's do so it. There's so many. You should do it. And mm-hmm. I'm like. How much is it? And they told me, and I'm like, eh, I'm good. Yeah, they're kind of pricey. <laughs> yeah. You can get deals during holidays and stuff for them, but yeah, they're kind of pricey. Yeah. Uh, Jacoba ordered her kit, and by fall of 2014, she got her results back. When she reviewed them, she was excited, but that excitement quickly turned into concern. It stated that she had seven half-siblings, which meant that what Klein had told her on the phone was just a total lie. There's a total of eight of them from the same donor. Jacoba even talked to her mother about it, and she agreed that Klein had told her at the procedure that one donor would never, ever be used more than three times. Jacoba obviously couldn't just let this go. Something inside of her was telling her, okay, we need to figure this out. She started doing more researching and started reaching out to her half-siblings that she located through 23andMe. They all started to work together to connect the dots of the situation and figure out who their biological father was. Through the family trees, they were able to pinpoint one common relative, a lady named Sylvia, who was their second cousin. And Jacoba started messaging her and eventually asked if she was able to share the surnames that were within her family. One of these surnames stood out amongst the rest because Jacoba had recognized it. Swinford. Swinford was the maiden name of Don Clyde's mother. That's when it all clicked together for Jacoba. Donald Klein, her mother's fertility doctor, the same fertility doctor that all of her siblings' mothers used was her biological father. Jacoba was in total shock and disgust. She had a million questions. How in the hell could anyone do this? Well, and she even said that they had joked about it when they were yeah. like, researching. They had joked about, oh, whoa, we bet it's the doctor. Yeah, they had totally made a joke about Eerie. it. Yes. Um, so how could the doctor do this? Especially a doctor who swore his life to medicine and helping people. How long did he do this for? How many siblings were out there? Jacoba needed to know more, and she needed the world to know. She decided to file a complaint against Don Klein with the Attorney General's Office of Indiana. After filling it out online, she ended up receiving something from the Attorney General in the mail. But unfortunately, it was just a generic form talking about how it will be looked into and eventually someone would get back with her. But Jacoba knew this needed to be pushed. She sent them letters, she made phone calls, and all of them were ignored. She was at a loss at this point on what direction to take. When it dawned on her, she needed to reach out to the local media. She contacted every local media outlet within Indianapolis. The story could only progress if she could get it to the masses. But I, th- I think she even tried to reach out to some national. Did she? Yeah. Uh, but once again, she had no luck. No one would respond back to her. Until one afternoon, she was watching Fox 59 News when she realized there was one newscaster that she didn't contact, and that was Angela Grenat. Jacoba reached out to Angela through email, and without a second thought, Angela took the story. Angela's first mission was to contact Don Klein herself. When she was able to speak to him, he denied being the father of Jacoba and the other children claiming to share his DNA. He repeated once again that he only used sperm from doctors in training, and each donor was only used three times maximum. 
He just continuously repeated he had nothing to do with this other than being the doctor of the women who needed fertility treatments. Angela knew that there was only one way to set it straight, to not only show Klein the results from all the DNA matches, but also to have him take a DNA test to compare to the people claiming to be his children. And you know what Klein did? He refused. Wonder why. (laughs) Why not? Although she couldn't move forward much without Klein's compliance, Angela still aired the story on the nightly news. She just didn't use his name. With the community seeing the story and putting the pieces together and it gaining a lot of traction, Jacoba and her siblings were hoping this would light the fire under the state that they needed to do an investigation. But still, no one within the attorney general's office would move forward. On a last-ditch effort to get Klein's attention and to have him come forward with the truth, which everyone already knew at this point, one of Jacoba's siblings decided to message the four children that he had with his wife and also message all of his grandchildren that were over the age of 18. Boss move. For real. Boss move. That was ballsy. For real. Um, Within the message, they told the story of what was going on, how they found out that they were all related, and how the common denominator between all of them was Klein. And they asked if they knew if anyone in the family had donated sperm in the early 80s. A week or two after the messages had been sent out, Doug, one of Klein's sons with his wife, uh, messaged Jacoba. He agreed to meet up with her, along with his sister Donna, at Jacoba's church. When they met, he said the four siblings had spoken with their father about what was going on. And you know what Don did? He admitted to it. He admitted that, yes, he was the biological father of these children, but the only time he ever did this was when there wasn't access to any other sperm. He swore that there were no more than 10 women he had done this to. Max. Max. Doug told Jacoba, I will do whatever it takes to get you the answers. So Jacoba asked if he could get Klein to meet her. So... Doug was able to set up a time and place for his father to meet Jacoba and five of her siblings. As they all sat around a table together, waiting for Klein, they were all nervous. I mean, obviously, I would be too. And um, they were worried about what was about to unfold and to see the man behind one of the most catastrophic events of their lives. Before they saw him, they heard him. Klein was elderly acting, gray-haired, and walked with a cane. And as he entered the doorway, he had no emotion at all. He was callous and stark the entire time. Jacoba immediately noticed that on the front of his hip, he had a gun. And for whatever reason, she felt like it was a way that he could intimidate them. He introduced himself as he sat down and then pulled out a pen and a pad of paper. He went around the table asking each of them what their name was, their age, and their profession, writing each of them down and by Jacoba's own words, like he was judging them and ranking them. As he was done, one of the first questions asked by the siblings was about his medical history. This was really important to them, obviously, because a lot of them had medical issues that they couldn't get sorted out. Autoimmune disorders, blood clotting issues, stomach problems, all of them had something, and they were all slightly similar. Klein dodged the question and told them that they had nothing to worry about, probably because he knew how unethical it would be to use donor sperm from someone who had severe predetermined health issues. He followed this up by pulling out papers with scriptures on them, and he looked at Jacoba, handed her one of the papers, saying, this one's for you. It was Jeremiah 1.5. Jacoba told him, and this is a quote, put that shit away, (laughs) because it was not the time, it was not the place, and she told him she would not allow him to use her God to justify his actions. 
One of the siblings piped up to ask, why would you do this? Klein responded with, I only did this because the women were so desperate for a child. I was just helping them. And then he said, the number of siblings is no more than 15. So we went from 10. I was going to say, <laughs> so yeah, at the time of this dinner, they, they okay, so they had talked to his brother. He said that his dad said 10 tops. But by the time of this dinner, they were already at 14. So then he had to backtrack and say, oh, well, it's 15 tops now. Yeah. Like, for sure. It's just 15, I swear. He went from not having anything to do with yeah, it. None at all. To three. There could only be three. The donors only been used three times. To they found eight altogether. Then it went from eight. And then he said, no, it's no more than 10. Then they found 14. And then he's like, well, it's no more than 15. So we just keep escalating yeah. more and more and more. So, like, another thing is that. They, I mean, Jacoba, they, they just kept getting hits yes. on 23andMe. So they had to, like, go through the motions. Like, she's, when they get a new hit, they send a message, like, hey, I'm sure you're confused. Like, reach out. I'll explain. So, like, their group was growing. And so many times in this documentary, they say, every time a new sibling pops up or yep. when we get a new hit, when we get a new sibling hit. It, it's insane how many times you hear that. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. a lot. <laughs> so the siblings left the meeting with Klein with little to no answers and maybe even more questions than they came there with. They knew one thing, though. Klein was a liar when he did this originally, and he was a liar still. So Don Klein began threatening the news station to stop airing the story about him, even though it had no connection to his name. And he also started threatening Angela, the newscaster. He told her that she better be careful and if he talked about this and talked to her, he was violating HIPAA laws, which is not true because <laughs> the people that the HIPAA laws are for are giving him permission to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Then he started threatening to sue her and the station for defamation. Klein then went on to tell Jacoba directly. Luckily, she recorded the phone call. And although she was screaming inside, she kept her cool. She was cool as a cucumber. I I'm so glad she had the foresight to record oh, that. Oh, yeah, for but. sure. So during um, the phone call, Klein brought up about how he believed the news airing the story was a huge problem. And Angela asking him to meet with her for an interview. But he told Jacoba that he told Angela no, because this all wasn't fair to him. He also tried to play sympathy for the children, stating that it wasn't fair to them either. Uh, and that's just so gross. This was all just a ploy to gain ratings by his words. Mm -hmm. He wanted Jacoba's help in stopping this, considering she was the one who contacted them originally. He knew if his name got attached to the story, that it was going to ruin his 57 years of marriage. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Jacoba asked if he wanted her to just keep her life a secret, and Klein said yes, that, it, that he felt like he didn't do anything wrong at the time. But this, this was all her fault. She put all of this out for the whole world to see, and it just hurt him so badly. Mm -hmm. And Jacoba just wants him to hurt. Jacoba told him, no, this all happened because of your actions. This call is what really pushed Jacoba over the edge with Klein. He wanted her to keep quiet because he knew that there were more siblings out there. There's already more than 10, more than 15. He knew there were many, many more. Didn't he, too, say, like, they want me to tell the truth and I don't want to? Yeah. Like, yep. exactly. That's what he said. I was like, how can you even say that with a straight face? Right. 
Once again, after contacting the Attorney General's office, no one would respond. Jacoba decided to take it upon herself to start looking into Don Klein herself. She searched everywhere that she could. She read every article that she could get her hands on and devoted as much time as she could finding out who Don Klein really was, not just who he portrayed himself to be. During this dive into Klein's life, a new sibling would pop up on the Ancestry website, and then she would take on the burden of contacting each person and breaking the news to them. She said that she felt like with every new sibling, she had to give them the news that would ruin their life. So this is where we're going to finish episode one. This is going to be two-parter, and uh, we'll be continuing the story next week on part two. And this might end up being a three-parter. And I say that because I contacted Jacoba <gasps> and asked her if that if she would be willing to do a an interview. Um, I'm still waiting for a response, so we can't jump out of our pants here. But you ballsy bitch! You. <laughs> I messaged her, and I'm just waiting for a response. Three parts. We've done it before. We'll do it again. <laughs> oh, Jeremy just took a drink. Sorry. Swallow. <laughs> I gotta swallow. <laughs> So before we wrap things up for part one, I just want to give a quick shout out to the other members of the Golden Mojo Network family of podcasts. Golden Image Podcast, which is Jeremy's uh, little little project he's been doing with the... <laughs> Where are you laughing? A little project. Your little project. Little project. Your, your little project you've been doing with um, Gunner of the Call Guys and Skyler. And they go to all different places all over Indiana, so you don't have to. Um, and they give reviews and... No, they, they still want you to go. We do. We do want you, you to go. You still need to go. We go. They judge we go it. Do so th- you... Go ahead. No, you go. We do, we, <laughs> we do things so you'll want to do things. Yes. Yes. I keep saying, so you don't have to. Well, that's like the quintessential like statement, but it's not. it doesn't work yeah. in this case. Yes. Yeah. They go do things so you'll want to. We do. We want you to go check out. Well, we want you to give patronage to these places. I mean, yes. that's uh, the whole idea of it. Yes. I mean, we've covered some big big places yeah. like you know maybe the hard rock you know mm-hmm. rot live or something like that at casino but we've also done small bars and small restaurants yeah. and stuff like that, that that maybe you don't know about yeah yeah support maybe local yeah, yeah exactly and if anybody out there wants to uh give an interview for anywhere yep just let us know email us at uh golden mojo entertainment or is it golden mojo ent Golden Mojo, Golden ENT. Mojo ENT at gmail.com. And uh, we'll set something up. You can get a little special slot on uh, Golden Image Podcast. We'll hook you up. <laughs> uh, if you need a little pick-me-up after a super deep episode of Murder Nerds, head on over to The Call Guys. The Call Guys is hosted by Gunner and Colton, who discuss movies, TV shows, and pretty much anything pop culture that give their opinions about them. It's pretty funny. They're just goofballs. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> well, just because everybody is so argumentative about like certain, like super specific things. Oh, yeah. That's what happens when you, you get mean, like DC can, can, Oh, my DC Lord. DC Marvel. These guys. I mean, Marvel's better. Yeah, our chat is <laughs> out of control. Which eventually in the future, you may see a Murder Nerds crossover with the Call Guys. I can't mm-hmm. wait. It's going to be, be interesting. Fun. Or maybe you just want to keep yourself creeped out. You can, uh, you can go to. That didn't make sense. I <laughs> you just paused a little awkwardly too long. <laughs> or maybe you want to keep yourself creeped out. If so, Jeremy and I can help with that. We host a paranormal show with our partners in Texas, Logan, Matt, and Bose. It's the United States of Paranormal. 
And during this podcast, we take a road trip across America telling tales of hauntings, cryptids, and weird places from each state. <laughs> We're doing our motions. Motions. Rainbow. <laughs> Reading rainbow. It's a double rainbow. It's a double rainbow in the sky. But it's pretty fun. It's been interesting. It's been a it's been a blast working We've working with so everybody much. so far. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, links and social media for all of these podcasts can be found within our show notes and on our social media pages. So go support our small podcast network. The more support, the more we grow, the better the content. Uh, do you have anything that you'd like to tell us? Have a case you'd like us to research for a future episode? You can contact us at our email, murdnerds at gmail.com, or search for murdnerds on all popular social media platforms. Breathe, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> If you'd rather be anonymous with your opinions located in our bios on all social media platforms is a Linktree account that you can click on and find at the top a link to our survey page. It's completely anonymous. And while you're on our social media pages, you can find photos of each case that we cover. Don't forget to subscribe to us anywhere that you enjoy listening to podcasts. And if you're an Apple podcast or Spotify listener, you know what you should do. Go rate and review within mm -hmm. the app. This is the best and easiest way to help support us here at Murd Nerds. Plus, it's completely free. Did you know that? Completely free. This helps us move up in the charts and also helps us get noticed by sponsors for ads. But if you would like to help support the podcast monetarily, you can pledge a monthly donation of $0.99 cents Four dollars and ninety nine cents, or nine dollars and ninety nine cents. Salt, salts. This helps us at Murderers with equipment, merch, licensing, and anything else that we could need to make Murderers possible. This is not a money making venture for us. We do this because we want to, and it takes a lot of time and energy in the process. We use our own money to fund everything that goes on for all of the podcasts, and the small amount we have been making off ad revenue is going right back into the studio to make it bigger and better for our listeners. We need new chairs. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> I feel so bad for Ashley right now. She's a, she no, does have the good. worst chair in here. She she rocked it for the first twenty episodes. I'll get it till forty, <laughs> and, then we'll, and then we'll swap again. So, if you want to help us get new chairs here at Murder Nerds. Please buy merchandise, listen, or donate monetarily each month. Four ninety nine. If I mean, if, <laughs> if I'm sorry, so if five of you donate four ninety nine, we could get a new chair in just two months, and then you can stop <laughs> donating. I promise. <laughs> so if you can show your support by pledging a donation each month, or even purchase some pretty awesome merchandise that we have available on our Murdered. Merch, merch store <laughs> located within our social media. I designed them and <laughs> I think at one point she brought out the finger guns. <laughs> right now we have three super awesome contributors, Logan, Matt, and Bose over at the United States of Paranormal. So thank you, Logan, Matt, and Bose for helping support Murder Nerds. Thank Keep you, guys. Cool. She Keep just, I was going to say, she finally holstered <laughs> them. I put them in my holster. Put them away. Does anybody have anything else that they want to say? I, you know, she did a pretty good job covering everything, didn't she? I think she? so. I think so. I don't, uh, think you, I don't think you can beat that presentation no, that right there. fantastic. Oh. All right, guys. So check in next week for part two. <laughs> Check it next week for part two of the case about Dr. Donald Klein. I don't even want to call him a doctor because I don't think he's a doctor. <laughs> Stacey, stop. <laughs> Bye. Stacey, stop there. Bye-bye. Bye. It's kind of hot in here. It's really hot in here. <laughs> <laughs>